Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. January 6th was the culmination of an attempted coup. Motivated by what President Trump had told them. I know why I was there, and that's because he called me there. My kids didn't have the courage to do what should have been done. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. We've forgotten what it looks like to see that attack. It was gut-wrenching at the time. This is not just for history's sake. They're talking about this as an ongoing threat to democracy. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Inflation hits a new 40-year high just as President Biden touts progress at the port of L.A. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. Welcome to Friday with a strong reaction to the CPI data today, my goodness, from the markets and from Washington. And we'll have details ahead from Bloomberg's Eric Weiner, and we'll talk about unwinding the kinks in the supply chain with someone who knows a lot about it, Gene Sikora, executive director of the Port of L.A., the busiest port in America. Later, the January 6th committee gets inside Americans' living rooms at last. Did they make a difference? What happens next week? You know, we're not done. We have several more to go. And we'll have an update from Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick, who was in the Capitol last night for some pretty dramatic moments. Analysis from the panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us for the hour. Markets say it all, I guess, a hotter than expected CPI report, not what anyone wanted or was apparently prepared for. And we wanted to take a deeper dive uh, with Eric Weiner, who leads Bloomberg's North American market coverage, author of What Goes Up and the Shadow Market. And it's great to have you, Eric. Are we now are we in a new world at this point? A lot of people who called a peak uh, for inflation a couple of weeks ago are, are throwing out their forecasts right now. That's pretty much what's going on. I don't know if it's a new world or we're just figuring out what the old world is. I understand like, Americans are anxious. Yeah. Uh, you got consumer discretionary stocks that really got killed today. And that means that people are afraid that or the market is afraid that people aren't going to be able to spend. Uh, and technology got hit hard. Same sort of thing where people are just not going to have the amount of money that it takes to spend on goods. This recalibrates the forecast for the Fed. It could. I mean, they're Traders are betting that you're going to see 50 basis point hikes or half an interest rate, uh, half an interest um, basis point uh, hike over the next three months. So through September, but they had to raise that a little bit to 75 basis points for one of the meetings because traders are starting to expect that the Fed's going to have to get a little bit more aggressive. That's the scary part, I guess. We did hear you hear Joe Biden try to interrupt us just now. Uh, the president was at the port of L.A. today talking about this. Let's hear what he actually said. I understand Americans are anxious and they're anxious for good reason. I was raising a household when the price of gasoline rose precipitously. It was the discussion at the table. It made a difference when food prices went up. That's the word anxious, right, for investors as well as consumers. 
That's exactly the word. And really uncertain because people thought that this was going to be over by now, or at least we'd start seeing some improvement by now. And it just keeps getting worse. Today's CPI print, as you guys pointed out, was just, you know, as bad as it could possibly be. So everybody was hoping, you know, by the time we get to summer, maybe we'll start seeing some normalcy and it doesn't really look that way right now. This plays into earnings, of course, right? That's the that's the concern right now is that companies are not going to be able to earn as much in a higher inflationary environment that these tech companies, even though they have a lot of cash, it just it's going to cost them more to do business. Uh, but they're taking down the whole market, right? You know, people are throwing out good companies with bad companies. At, at, at some point, Eric, do, do we start to tell the difference? That's ultimately what happens, that there's a pattern to this to a certain extent. It never is exactly the same, but there, there are threads that you can see. Yep. Basically, what you're looking for is what they call capitulation, where the market just basically sort of throws up. And once that happens, and we're, we're getting close to that, it would appear, once that happens, you start looking at things like, well, is Apple really worth you know, 20% less than it was a few weeks ago. Yeah. And then people step in and start buying. Uh, and it's eventually what happens is it's the quality that people look at and value that people look at and you start going again. But there was a lot of euphoria. I mean, there there is no mistaking that there sure. was a lot of euphoria going on. Yeah. And some of that has to come out. And people have been, it's, this is no surprise. People have been talking about this for a year, the idea that this has to happen. Mm-hmm. It's just now it's happening, and it's not fun when it does. The perfect voice uh, on a day like today, Eric Weiner. I really appreciate it. It's, he leads Bloomberg's North American market coverage team and the man behind the books, What Goes Up in the Shadow Market. Getting things rolling on the fastest hour in politics. There's the market. Then there's the port. That data, that CPI report hit just a couple of hours before President Biden spoke at the port of L.A. Talking about strides made at America's busiest port, remembering images last year of ships lined up to the horizon. President says no more. But the port, all the ports on the West Coast are bracing for some new challenges here in the second half of the year. And we're joined by the man who runs the port of L.A. right now, Director Gene Soroka. Welcome, Gene. Welcome back to uh, Bloomberg. It's great to be here. Good to hear you, Joe. Big day with the president today. Do you feel like you've got this licked? It was almost a victory sounding speech, even as we got some tough inflation data this morning. From the supply chain standpoint, Joe, I'd say we're in the bottom of the fifth inning. We're past the worst, but there still is much more to do. We're focused today on getting our rail cargo moved to the interior of the country, building up our agricultural exports and really making sure that we have certainty in this American supply chain. You're preparing for an early peak season this year. Retailers stocking up on back to school, other seasonal goods coming from overseas. Will that create a new batch of bottlenecks in the fall? I don't think so. We've done a lot of work here this year on bringing that backlog down. At its worst point, back in January, 109 vessels were waiting outside the twin ports of Southern California to begin work. Today, that's under 20. The cargo is sitting for less time than normal, and we're pushing the cargo out quicker to the interior of the country. The landings for peak season will begin at the end of this month. We're already seeing a little bit of an uptick in the vessels leaving Asia, coming our way. So everything is happening as we had stated it would. Why is it early this year? 
folks are trying to make sure they don't get caught behind when it comes to inventory, seasonal goods. They know that the transit times might need a little extra time to get to their warehouse store floors, so they're not going to take any chances. The majority of retailers have told me not only the year-end holiday goods, but the back-to-school products, seasonal goods, as well as those for fall, will all be coming at the same time. So let's stretch this out a little bit and have a better line of sight okay. on the shipments coming in. Wait, doesn't that tell you something, Gene, when the, the average American consumer has become an expert on the supply chain? Oh, it's to... like it's never been before. The spotlight is on us, but it can never be too bright. We've We're got to continue to system. improve delivery to the American consumer. Well, you know, to, to speak about that, that leg that comes from the port, uh, there was a lot of talk last year. One of the most concrete things the Biden administration did to unclog supply chain issues was was make the ports of L.A. and Long Beach 24-7. Not that it was in order, but he worked with you on doing that. I wonder, Gene, how close to 24-7 are you at this point? Well, we're prepared. We're open all the time. Our dock workers are ready to go to work. We've had very few takers. This largely private sector supply chain, and rightly so, doesn't work the same hours that the ports do. We need more truckers on the ground to be able to work around the clock, and we still have a lower level of employment at our warehousing system than we would like. Please remember, there are about 2 billion square feet of warehousing from the shores of the Pacific out to the desert region of Southern California, and they accommodate about one-third of all of our imports here from the ports of L.A. and Long Beach. We've got to beef the talent up in that area. So the worker shortage remains an issue. You've got a lot of jobs to fill. And we're not immune. Nationwide, 11.4 million jobs open. Even here in our supply chain and around the port, its adjacencies, same story. We've got to do a better job to attract, recruit, and retain workers in these areas. Make it a profession once again. One of the other challenges on your horizon and all of our horizons as consumers, a possible dock workers strike, Gene, do you see that happening next month? I do not. The longshore dock workers have not gone on strike since 1972. That's right. I read that. Yes. At this time, we've got seasoned negotiators on both sides of the table, from the Employers Association and the Longshore Union. Each understands how important these 29 West Coast ports are to the American economy. They account for about 9% of our nation's GDP. The president himself was here today, as was Labor Secretary Marty Walsh. The administration is keeping a very close watch while being so respectful of the collective bargaining process between both sides. Well, you mentioned him. Would you like to see the Labor Secretary get involved in those negotiations, or is it not at that point? It's not at that point, but he's created some very strong relationships early on in his tenure. He started talking to both sides just after taking office. He's a well-known commodity on the ground to the labor movement, as well as a fair man to the employers' associations that he's dealt with in the past. The right guy on the case, but they're going to give these two sides room to negotiate through the collective bargaining process. Gene Soroka, you sound energized from a day outside with the president. You've had uh, the cameras and microphones pointed your way, but there's a storm coming from overseas, I understand. What does a reopening China, a post-COVID China, mean for the port of L.A.? 
You'll see a consistent flow of goods, Joe. And unlike what some observers have reported, the central government in China and the port specifically have really prioritized that long-haul cargo, that which comes here to Los Angeles. We never saw the precipitous drop in goods as some had predicted. Now, as we move towards a reopening of Shanghai, it's been interesting because the port of Ningbo in neighboring Jiangsu province is up 25% since the lockdowns went in place 11 weeks ago. And the Yangshan Deep Seaport in Shanghai is operating at about an 85 to 90% clip right now. Mm-hmm. The goods continue to move, and we'll start to see those seasonal and year-end products hitting our docks by the end of this month. As we look forward, not every factory was closed. Not every trucking firm had to stop doing yeah. business. Yeah. But the reopening is a positive sign, and we'll see a little bit of an uptick to catch up, but nothing that will overwhelm us. Well, he's on the front lines of the supply chain crisis. Gene Soroka, director of America's biggest port, the Port of L.A. Gene, thank you for your time, as always, on Bloomberg. Always good talking with you, Joe. Thank you. Coming up, we assemble the panel. Rick and Jeannie are here. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano help us make sense of things on a Friday. We'll check markets and traffic on the way. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So President Biden still not making any friends on the issue of inflation, even as he discussed progress today at the Port of L.A., just echoed by Gene Soroka right here on Sound On. Larry Summers is talking a very different tune, not just about the administration, but the Federal Reserve. Of course, he's been kind of ahead of the curve on this whole matter for some time. And he talked about it with David Weston on Bloomberg Wall Street Week. Listen to Larry Summers. I think the Fed's forecast from March saying that inflation would be coming down to the twos by the end of the year was frankly delusional when issued and uh, looks even more ridiculous today. And that's the Fed that this administration is deferring to, of course, even while talking about its own attempts to lower prices, delineating evermore between the two. Let's assemble the panel on a Friday afternoon. It's always great to have Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano help us make sense of things, as I say. Jeannie, this was uh, kind of a tough day for this White House. A lighter-than-expected report would have been well-received. This blew the doors off right as the president was uh, trying to execute a, a presidential event on inflation. Yeah, that's right. You know the emoji where the person's head pops off? I, hearing Larry <laughs> Summers say that they were, you know, forecasting 2% and describing yeah, right. it as delusional, delusional. is probably an understatement. And, and we should underscore that. A horrible day for this White House. This, after all, is inflation month. Let's not forget, we are 10 days into it. We had, you know, Jerome Powell at the White House on the hot seat. And this comes out and the president is trying to talk about the progress they've made at the ports. But every 
everything is up. I mean, somebody was just telling me soup is up 14%. Soup. So yeah, soup, Joe, do you eat a lot of soup? Soup's apparently up. So, <laughs> you know, it is bad and it's getting worse for this White House. And quite frankly, the president is race, right that there's a lot of anxiety. People are anxious, yep. but that is not enough to hear from the White House, particularly in inflation month. I thought that uh, that he was Mr. Feel Your Pain, Rick Davis, that he was just the man for this job. He talks about growing up in a household where gas prices were talked about at the kitchen table. His dad's up at night for crying out loud, staring at the ceiling every night. How come it's not resonating with anyone? Well, I think he's sitting at the kitchen table and he's having the same complaints that... Uh, you know, most families have, oh, gas prices are out of sorts, you know, yeah. chicken up 17%. That, if you have chicken soup, it's really expensive. Um, <laughs> Apparently so. But but I think one of the things he's not doing is saying, and here's how we're going to fix it. We're going to pull together as a country. You know, we're going to see this through. Here's my five-point plan to defeat, you know, and, and help defeat inflation and help the American economy and help the American consumer. And, and that's the part that's missing. I mean, where's the beef? I mean, you're sitting at the table. You're having that conversation. You feel bad for, you know, for people. So yeah. what? You're the president. You're supposed to actually be doing something about it. The beef is even more expensive, uh, Jeannie. You're going to be stuck with the chicken soup this weekend. That's the, that's the economy that we're in here. Uh, so, so what do you do about it then? We're coming off another big night of primaries this week in which crime gun violence took a lot of the attention then we went to this january 6th mode with the hearing reminding us of our darkest moment how does the president get out of this hole yeah, don't eat the beef. Apparently, eggs up 32%. It's just bad out there. He's at the kitchen table, as Rick says, but apparently he's not eating that much. Um, you know, I, I think oh, Rick, Rick is absolutely right. You know, the problem is it feels to me a bit like the president, the White House has internalized this idea, which, you know, I, I understand, but there's not a lot they can do about this. We heard this in the context when he was on Jimmy Kimmel about gun violence. You know, Jimmy Kimmel asked him, you know, can you do anything vis-a-vis executive order? And he's explaining, no, that probably won't work. Well, the president has got to have a better message than there's not a lot I can do. I understand you're anxious, but. And, you know, one thing we need to underscore is a big problem for this Democratic Party and for the White House right now is, was Joe Manchin right when he said, don't pass that build back better? Could you imagine had they passed that at, you know, two trillion, whatever it was going to be, how much worse the situation could be? And you look at the president's answer to inflation beyond putting Jerome Powell on the hot seat, he's talking about fundamental aspects of Build Back Better under another name. And that is where people have to go back and scratch their head. Does he have a plan here? And is it one that's going to lower inflation or address mm -hmm. it versus increase it? That Jimmy Kimmel appearance, the talking about inflation, the bane of our existence, Rick Davis, you questioned the choice of doing that before he went. Was that... Or could it end up going down as Joe Biden's malaise speech? You know, I think it has some potential. He's 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 a little, you know, uh, sad these days uh, as president of the United States. I mean, he's trying to feel everybody's pain, uh, but he's not giving them an aspirin in the process. And, and 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 I guess the point I was trying to make about the Jimmy Kimmel thing, he hasn't talked to the American press. He hasn't had a national interview in 100 and almost 20 days. And yet his one, I'm going to relieve the pressure by going on Jimmy Kimmel. That's not news. It's entertainment. 
give me a break. I mean, like, you know, if I was handling this candidate uh, and, and, and been that long since we talked to the press, we'd be getting killed. And this guy mm-hmm. seems to be getting away with it. And, and I would say, too, you know, we started this segment by talking about Larry Summers. Larry yeah. Summers has been all over this administration for their lackluster handling of inflation for over and, a year and he's one of them yeah i, I mean know. you can't have your antitrust chief going out to break up meat fact you know meat uh, distributors and 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 people like that at the same time you're trying to actually create a better supply chain of that product and so like the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing in this administration here the full interview uh, with larry summers by the way coming up in the very next hour on bloomberg wall street week with david weston he had a lot more to say than that rick and Jeannie have a lot more to say as well and they're going to stay with us for the hour as we turn to january 6th in the primetime hearing next i'm joe matthew this is bloomberg Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. The headline on the terminal, Jan 6 panel weaves tale of lying Trump, raging mob, cops, valor. It also brought back a lot of tough memories through that new video, through the testimony. We're going to talk about the January 6th committee's first night in primetime. It was uh, quite a show last night. Went a lot longer than 90 minutes, as it turned out. My goodness, the opening statements took almost an hour by the time Benny Thompson and Liz Cheney were done. We're looking at 9 o'clock, and I'll be... Be deeply curious if we get ratings on this kind of thing. It's they're going to be another several hearings, and then the final one they say will be in prime time, as well. But quite a quite a moment right up front to hear the chairman, Congressman Benny Thompson, lay it down. Here he is. January sixth was the culmination of an attempted coup, a brazen attempt, as one rioter put it, shortly after January sixth, to overthrow the government. Also incredible to hear from not just Liz Cheney's opening statement, but they were doing this, you know, kind of like I do here with playing cuts of people talking interspersed. You heard Ivanka Trump. You heard Bill Barr, the former attorney general, hearing these former high ranking officials in the Trump administration testify in their own words was impactful, as were the witnesses. Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick uh, was at the Capitol last night, had a late night as all this unfolded, and we're lucky to have him with us right now, Jack. It was the first outing here, and we don't need to necessarily review everything that happened, but significant, as Liz Cheney pointed out, a meeting in the White House on December 18th in which Donald Trump got together with uh, former General Michael Flynn, Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, And they talked about the idea of martial law, having the military seize voting machines before they were joined by other members of the staff. And it was about an hour later that the come to D.C. January 6th, it's going to get wild uh, tweet went out. Can this committee connect the dots between that meeting, that tweet and groups like the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers? I, that is exactly what they're going to try to do. It, it was really interesting that moment because we knew there were theories being proposed by people like Mike Flynn 
uh, uh, that that were a little bit out there in terms of seizing uh, voting machines or something along those lines. But the committee really described that. Liz Cheney described that as a pivotal point in everything they're laying out. Yeah. Uh, it, and it ties in then to the far right groups, the the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers, that they're they're clearly going to uh, follow through on in in subsequent meetings, uh, in subsequent hearings. So I, I yeah, I mean that was that was one point of I think basically a three pronged approach, mm-hmm. saying making the argument that the then President Trump absolutely must have known that these legal theories were uh, without merit, that his own attorney general was arguing against them directly to him, that through those kinds of meetings with Flynn and others, he was pushing the envelope further and further, uh, got to the point where he probably knew there would be violence uh, at the Capitol on January 6th. And then when it happened, did nothing despite the calls from people like Kevin McCarthy uh, mm-hmm. for help. So it, that that meeting that you just described is essentially at the center of this whole narrative uh, chronologically that they're going to lay out, that they laid out and will continue to lay out over the course of, we think, six uh, hearings overall. Penny Thompson says there will be uh, actual evidence of conversations, he told CNN, with those groups and people in Trump's so-called orbit. Uh, we wonder how close to the sun this whole thing gets. But really interesting to hear uh, when when these these uh, testimony were delivered. Bill Barr, for instance, the former attorney general, speaking uh, very bluntly in this video is one of the first things that we saw of when he told Donald Trump that there was there was no significant election fraud, that it had not been stolen. Here's what he said. I did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen and putting out this stuff, which I told the president was bullshit. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to be a part of it. And that's one of the reasons that went into me deciding to leave when I did. I observed, uh, I think it was on December 1st, that, you know, how can we, you can't live in a world where, where the incumbent administration stays in power based on its view unsupported by specific evidence that the election that there was fraud in the election gotta love when you have to bleep the uh the attorney general uh then we heard from ivanka trump who said yeah i i I took him at his word essentially i had respect for bill barr's view president trump former president trump has since sent out a uh a statement on his own uh truth social saying that ivanka was what was it disconnected or had checked out? He said checked by then, throw her under the bus, I guess, Jack, a little bit. But uh, the idea that he was being told on a daily basis by people he trusted that there was there was no theft, there was no fraud that would change the outcome of the election, really makes it amazing when you consider what he was saying publicly. Yeah, and that's going to be key to their argument that he knew what he was doing, and it, the the implication, or even something more direct than than implying that the committee is making, uh, is that okay, if he knew that there was no legal merit to these claims he was making, he was doing something extrajudicial. He Mm. must have essentially been calling on people to go to the Capitol, not to conduct a legal argument, but through violence or or some uh, extrajudicial means to overturn the uh, the election in ways that a court would not side with. That's the the early part of the chronology and uh, really Mm. uh, pivotal part of what the committee's laying out. And on, on that, you know, it was very interesting, the Ivanka Trump uh, clip, but also Jared Kushner then yeah. downplaying the threats of uh, legal advisors to the president. Of uh, they, 
threatened to resign. They showed a clip from Kushner saying he chalked that up to whining in his words. Uh, So on one hand, the president had people very close to him saying there's no legal merit. And yet potentially there are other people like Jared Kushner who nudged him along or, or downplayed all of these complaints. Everyone's asking the same question here in our last minute, Jack. You know, what does this lead to? Is it going to be up to the Department of Justice to decide if they pursue charges that, you know, the committee's work can only go so far? Yeah, legally, uh, you would expect this to be essentially handed off to the the Justice Department in the sense that they, they already have handed some of that off uh, yes, when right. people have not complied with subpoenas. Uh, but politically, they're making their case to the American people. It plays into the midterms. It plays into our longer term understanding of our own history. Uh, and so uh, the importance of this kind of seems to go beyond, OK, what do they do? It, it doesn't yep. come down to a vote in committee. It, it's a, a much broader issue and argument that they're making than that. More hearings ahead next week. Great work, as always, with our colleague Jack Fitzpatrick, Bloomberg government's Congress reporter. We'll reassemble the panel next for more. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. Any legal jargon you hear about seditious conspiracy, obstruction of an official proceeding, conspiracy to defraud the United States boils down to this. January 6th was the culmination of an attempted coup. A brazen attempt, as one rioter put it shortly after January 6th, to overthrow the government. What I saw was just a a war scene. It it was something like I'd seen out of the movies. I, I, I couldn't believe my eyes. There were officers on the ground. I I mean, I saw friends with blood all over their faces. I was slipping in people's blood. They are scrambling to change the headlines, praying that the nation will focus on their partisan witch hunt instead of our pocketbooks. It will not work. And aware of the rioters' chance to hang Mike Pence, the president responded with this sentiment, quote, Maybe our supporters have the right idea. Mike Pence, quote, deserves it. Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our constitution. Just this week, Nancy Pelosi's illegitimate January 6th committee secretly hired the former president of ABC News to produce these shameless primetime show. This was the same producer that covered up victims of Jeff Epstein. I did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen and putting out this stuff, which I told the president was bullshit. President Trump sent the tweet on the screen now telling people to come to Washington on January 6th. Be there, he instructed them. Will be wild. Trump has only asked me for two things. He asked me for my vote. He asked me to come on January 6th. 
I know why I was there, and that's because he called me there. I did believe, you know, that the election was being stolen, um, and Trump asked us to come. This committee is not about seeking the truth. It is a smear campaign against President Donald Trump, against Republican members of Congress, and against Trump voters across this country. This committee is unconstitutional. It is illegitimate. I say this to my Republican colleagues who are defending the indefensible. There will come a day when Donald Trump is gone, but your dishonor will remain. In a hearing presented by Benny Thompson, the chair, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, who you heard, and criticism, as you also heard, by Representative Elise Stefanik, who did not like what she saw or heard last night. How about the panel? Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are with us, Bloomberg Politics contributors. I was thinking about you guys last night. We talked about it coming up uh, into this. Uh, Rick Davis, from a production standpoint, I remember you wanted them to get into this a little bit quicker than they did. We had extended opening statements that lasted the better part of an hour, but they were also very well written and very poignant for a lot of people, as I heard throughout the day today. How did they do? Joe, I totally agree with you. Longer than I would have put them out, but they were really good opening statements. They laid out the whole thing in a comprehensive way. So if all you saw were the opening statements, you pretty Mm -hmm. much knew what the rest of the hearings were going to be about. Uh, uh, But I would have gotten to the video earlier because uh, that was really compelling stuff, uh, things that I had not seen before. And I must say the witnesses did a great job. So um, sure, I watched all two hours of it. I thought it was compelling. Uh, 20 million people joined me. uh, But I think that uh, we'll see where it goes from here. And uh, they off to a good start. It brought back some really tough memories, uh, Jeannie. I even sort of surprised myself, and that was the whole point of putting this video together. But some of that footage, the firsthand stuff, the POV stuff from the police, especially from law enforcement, just taking enormous amounts of abuse for such an extended period of time. Uh, of course, we heard from uh, the Capitol Police officer who experienced brain uh, a brain injury, who was you know, trampled and knocked unconscious. And we've heard a lot of scary stories like that. Uh, before we get into some of the details, Jeannie, what was your sort of top line? How, how did they do as you sat there with high expectations? Well, first of all, Joe, I think they should have hired you to do the best recap ever with the best oh, music geez. and put that out for the young people. That's that'll, only for our listeners. Yeah, that'll reach the young people. Um, you know, I, I think they did a fairly good job. You compare it to other, you know, uh, congressional hearings. This was, you know, far and away um, a very well done. But of course, it's a difficult thing to do. And so I think they did reach the point of giving some new information. And I agree that the video was, you know, startling something we hadn't seen before. We did get some new information. I think the most startling thing for me was the idea that Donald Trump had essentially abdicated his responsibility as president during those hours. Um, You know, the comments about Mike Pence, maybe he deserves it. But one thing that I was looking for that they did not get to and they're promising and and Jack Mm -hmm. talked about this to get to future hearings, but I think they should have last night was the connection between the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and the White House and the president. You know, Benny Thompson goes on TV after the hearing and says they're going to connect those dots. 
I'm not sure why they're waiting on that. They should well, have connected that last night in my A mind. lot of this, especially Liz Cheney's uh, opening statement, was really a preview as well of, hey, listen, you're, you're going to hear and see evidence of this. We're also going to show you how this happened. So I'm deeply curious to see how uh, they roll things out in the next couple of days. We've got a couple more hearings next week, and then you know there'll be another one on TV at the end of this. But I'm glad you mentioned Mike Pence. Uh, let, I want to bring us back to a moment in that video where they actually show, talking about connecting the dots here, Jeannie, they show uh, with almost no time to spare, President Trump sends a tweet about Mike Pence, you know, shame on Mike Pence, and it's being uh, for not standing up for whatever they were planning to do. And it's being read by one of the protesters, one of the rioters over uh, a megaphone, uh, almost, you know, a, a radio from Donald Trump here, and it's getting the crowd in a froth. Listen. Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our Constitution, giving states a chance to certify a corrected set of facts, not the fraudulent or inaccurate ones which they were asked to previously certify. U.S. demands the truth. Bring out Pence. He's reading that directly from the Trump tweet, and now you hear, bring out Pence. And they go into the hang Mike Pence chant that we've heard before. Absolutely shocking just to relive that Rick Davis and then to hear that it was Mike Pence who was making the phone calls to General Mark Milley, to the leadership at the Pentagon, asking for help. And not a single call came from Donald Trump. Yeah, I thought it was really a compelling part of the video. And and you have to keep reminding yourself that Donald Trump is sitting in the White House watching the riot unfold, uh, breaking through barriers and barriers, heading into the, the Capitol to disrupt the election certification. And he writes that tweet. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's literally a madman reacting to what should be the opposite, which is trying to get people to calm down and read out uh, by a bullhorn to juice the crowd up that then immediately turn on Mike Pence and start talking about hanging him. I mean, it, when you see that, you're reminded of the day, right? The, the shock of the day. That's right. You didn't, you didn't have that much detailed information or how it all fit into what was happening in the Oval Office. And I think that's why they're going to need seven sessions to outline all the level of detail. And, and to, to this point about putting together these, these uh, 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 extremist groups uh, who really help uh, manage the violence, uh, that is the entire sixth and seventh hearing, right, is the connection between them. And the key thing isn't that they have a connection between the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. It's what's the connection between the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, and Donald Trump. That's right. And how far out in the orbit is it? Right. How close did they get uh, to the sun as I said earlier Jeannie, how about trump asked me to come you know we saw the 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 video of members of those groups and other uh, other insurrectionists telling uh this documentary maker who testified why they decided to show up let's listen to a, a little bit of that trump has only asked me for two things he asked me for my vote and he asked me to come on january 6th i know why i was there and that's because he called me there and he laid out what is happening in our government he laid it out what really made me want to come was the fact that you know i had supported trump all that time uh i did believe you know that the election was being stolen um and trump asked us to come asked us to come 
Uh, we heard that a lot of times in that video, Jeannie. It's not just connecting dots between the White House and those who uh, who attacked the Capitol, these groups we're hearing about, but also how he instigated a crowd. Does that count? It does count. I mean, is Liz, that effective? It is. Liz Cheney talked about he summoned them, he assembled them, and he lit the flame. And after that flame was lit again, he abdicated his responsibility as president. He did nothing. His chief of staff was calling about how he looked politically. Donald Trump didn't call. Mike Pence under attack was trying to handle it. It's constitutionally a stunning revelation to have a president in office not doing anything. And the other part, you know, we should just mention that Liz Cheney also talked about was you had GOP members of Congress who tried to help the president steal the election. And then they appealed for pardons. She named Representative Scott Perry last night. Now, he has subsequently said that's not true. I'm glad you mentioned that because more names are coming. More names are coming. They're talking Andy Biggs, Mo Brooks, Mm -hmm. Paul Gosar. But, you know, he says we should say that that's not true. But there's got to be some documentation of that. And we're going to the truth will come out. But that would be a, you know, real stark revelation. Jeannie Shanzano, Rick Davis, do more charges come from these hearings? It's too early to tell, but the Justice Department's going to have a hot potato. Let's get back here next week. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.